Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. Back again, guys. Back for part two on education. That's right. So last time we spent a lot of time getting our <laughs> anger out. It was like a therapy session. Uh, talking about what education is not. Talking about the perversion of education through certain institutions. Um, which but we, we ended on a. For. That's right. That's right. Which which we're pawns of. So. Uh, and then at the end of the episode, we started getting into this idea, as, as you said, of the transformative experience, which now makes me think of, of learning. Mm-hmm. So maybe in this episode, we could start by talking about the more positive uh, ideas about what education is. Yeah, and uh, we were saying, I think towards the beginning of the last episode, uh, before we punted this to start talking about, start, you know, uh, <laughs> grieving about about what doesn't work, we were saying that the whole process of learning and teaching seems to be involved in that, right? And especially learning as a transformative experience, though not as just going to school. That's we right. Saying. You asked what the the necessary conditions were mm-hmm. for the process, and I totally derailed us for the rest <laughs> of the episode. Um, so, and I think that the, one of the necessary conditions for this process that we consider education. It must be this activity, let's call it right now, of learning, right? Mm-hmm. So we can say that within the process of education, uh, we have to be performing uh, a set of activities. And one of them is necessarily, it seems to be necessarily learning. And well, what is that? What does it mean that we learn things, right? Is it just a matter of hmm. getting more information in my head, as we were saying last time? Or is there something more? When is that I learned something? So it seems like information would be part of it, but is definitely not exhaustive of it for the reasons we were saying previously. Uh, Maybe a a really vague but important place to start is, and this relates to what you said before, uh, to say that when you learn something, you in some way gain something that you didn't have beforehand. Mm -hmm. Right, of course, maybe... Plato would uh, maybe disagree, saying, no, no, you already had it. Um, But even then, it's like you didn't have it consciously or in the way uh, that it is when it manifests. So so, so learning is gaining something you didn't have before. Would you agree? Uh, It seems that way, right? I just don't – I'm always afraid when when we talk about these things in these terms because then it might be interpreted as learning is this cumulative activity that you Hmm. you kind of – get things together you just access again information or whatever yeah so it's not that uh it it cannot be just that at least right and i think that you know that you're you're uh, hinting at plato it's interesting and maybe we can start by making this distinction uh there's some philosopher that thinks that knowledge right uh then learning is uh as a process that um that we put in place and it consists just into 
uh, how can we say, retrieving some already innate mm -hmm. um, notions, right? We don't learn anything from these people. We kind of remember them, right, uh, right. according to Plato. But to a certain extent, even Descartes would say something similar, right? There are innate mm -hmm. ideas. There are things that we already know. Uh, we're not we're not learning from the outside, right? And then there are other philosophers that instead would say the learning is this process of, um, you know, I want to super simplify this and say bringing inside what was outside, right? There are certain yes. things that are outside, certain information that are outside that I didn't possess. And then after, through this activity of learning, they become part of me. And we're not talking just about perceptions here, right? What we're talking about, again, notions or you know, ways in which we should behave and, and so on. And, you know, one side, the prototype of the first kind is Plato and mm -hmm. the prototype of the second kind is Aristotle, I want to say. And probably what I think is it's somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. I should get a nickel every time I say <laughs> it's somewhere in between. But um, because there is obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, but it seems to me that there has to be some process of outside in. However it can't merely be a process of outside in. And this is where this like Socratic ideal of self-knowledge seems to really resonate because I always say to my students, like I could sit up here, I don't sit, I, I could stand up here uh, <laughs> and tell you the history of philosophy and give you all these key terms in this knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that's not gonna mean you learn something. Like the learning happens when you, the learner, have that aha, that light bulb moment, right? And that's something that's triggered from the inside. Mm -hmm. So it could be the case that the outside helps flip the switch, but unless there's that flipping from the inside, I don't think learning can be had. So you're saying that at the end of the day, learning is this, it's an inner process, so to speak, where the information, it's like... It's a relation. The, inf the information is the wood, but then you need the spark from inside to start the fire. Without that, it's just wood. Yeah, something like that, because we're not computers mm -hmm. so the information will be necessary but there seems to be something else going on in there and you think that this is an inner process it's like some kind of epiphenomenon or something yeah mm -hmm. interesting and so and and would you say that that's the only time when you can tell that you learned something the only time when we learn something or the yeah. only time when we could tell that we learned something uh well i guess for the sake of simplicity we can say the second one right it's simpler to say it's hmm. it will, we will get into a whole different conversation if we say well there is unconscious right learning there right which we can talk about too but that's a good question i mean it's certainly one in so i would say the that inner spark is always necessary okay. whether it always has to be this explicit you having that consciously as a result of some kind of external stimuli that's something to question because I mean, I don't want to say that's just it. I want to leave room for there being more. Like I'm thinking, you know, there's this phrase, you know, you don't know how much you know until you're in a certain situation and you mm -hmm. realize, oh, like I have more in me than I thought I did. So it seems like you could also learn or, or realize that you've learned to use that language when you're in a tough situation that calls for you to rise to the occasion. Can we? Do you think we can make an example of of something? You know, when is that you finally learn? And again, we need to be careful here because there are different kinds of different types of learning, right? 
mm. and not all of them are part of this process that we can call education probably right there's some Ooh, learning, so learning is the bigger circle I would think so, right? Okay. Because I learn how to drive. I don't know if that means that I'm educated, right? It's, I can learn how to, to cut a wood in the forest. Even though maybe there is a partial aspect of education there as well. I don't know. Um, I wonder if it depends on, um, like, to use Aristotelian language, what it is for the sake of. Mm-hmm. And if it reflects back on something that, like, improves your conditions and overall being... Maybe that could be education. So, you know, if you're chopping wood because you live on your own mm-hmm. and you need to have a fire enable, uh, in order for you to subsist, like that seems to be more educational than just, I'm, I'm just driving on the road. But mm-hmm. an example of rising to the occasion would be, um, I'm thinking of a couple things, one of which does not apply to me, but I think will apply <laughs> someday, and that's children. Okay. Right. It's probably, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. Everyone thinks that. And then yeah, most yeah. of the time it's fine. You learn as you go. Yeah. Um, and if you don't, you go to jail. So you better. That's, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And the other thing I'm thinking is living on your own. Yeah. Tr- and like truly living on your own. Not like, you know, I went to college and was funded because, I mean, that happens to every, especially my generation. That's like a thing. You go to college mm-hmm. and live on your own, but you don't really live on your own until yeah. after that. Um, so when you really have to be self-sufficient, that seems to be an area where you truly learn something. Hmm. And I, I'm wondering, so um, why is that? Where is the, we were talking about this, this, well, this spark, right? This, mm-hmm. Which I'm assuming is the, the, metaphorically the transformative moment, right? So mm-hmm. to speak, when you, get, when you really change. Uh, how does that work? I mean, how is it, uh, what, I guess what I'm asking is, what does that mean that we get transformed, right? What does it mean that we become uh, different from what we were before? Again, because I don't want to give the impression here that it's just this accumulation, right? Now you have experienced the world more. Now you have experienced uh, more stuff. And, uh, and then finally, you just, you just end up doing, you know, just end up doing and end up, you know, having this learn experience yeah it's definitely not that and i I understand the anxiety because it's like on the one hand you want to say something like okay at this point in time i was anthony and then now after this thing happened i'm now anthony plus one yes and in some sense that makes sense but not if you view it as merely like here's a bunch of stuff and then now just throw another thing on the pile and then that's me now it's not that it's like when you introduce new things uh, so there's this kind of gestalt component, like it it reframes everything else that was in there. Hmm. So it's not just like, here's a series, and I'm continually adding new things to the series. It's like, I'm adding things, the things fall in different places within my epistemological structures, mm-hmm. which in turn results in uh, making sense of each of the components, and in fact, the whole differently. Hmm. Something like that. There's this continual, like reintegration re uh cohesifying that's not a word that's a bushism <laughs> um yeah something like that i would say i was i was thinking while you were saying this it's probably more like like a chemical uh re uh reorganization mm. sorry right when whenever you're learning something you're changed in the same way 
if you're adding another chemical element, then things kind of, uh, you know, get settled in a different way, right? Hmm. If you add, um, if you add uh, hydrogen to oxygen, you just don't have hydrogens and oxygen. You just get water with the right composition, right? Uh, that changes. But then if you add another element in there, that thing is not water anymore, but it is something else. And in this sense, probably, again, the way I'm thinking, learning is that that activity that leads to the process of education, which in turn means this complete reconfiguration of what we can call the self, I guess. Yeah, reconfiguration is a good word. Um, there's definitely a holistic change, mm-hmm. um, which we could use fancy language and say there's an ontological change, like something about your being mm-hmm. becomes different. And it's, I, I will add that there's also, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, it's fine. Uh, I will add also that another, another characteristic of, of this change is that it's not reversible. Once you got through that, yes, you cannot okay. take it back. You can, I cannot, um, I cannot uneducate myself. Unless there's, you know, some traumatic injury or whatever it is. But I'm saying not voluntarily and probably not even, again, unless there is a, a, you know, a physical damage, you cannot do that. Yeah. And that's for better or for worse, because I'm thinking of um, in in Dennett's book, Consciousness Explains, uh, Consciousness Explained, rather, he talks about this idea of, for him, it's consciousness, but I think it can relate here, this idea that people don't want to demystify consciousness because they lose something like almost sacred Mm -hmm. and there's certainly some things that could be viewed as negative at least somewhat after you gain perspective and so the example he talks about is uh like love Mm -hmm. um and so you're young and you think love is this mythical thing that w- that has these magical qualities that will change everything and then you get involved in your first relationship and it really takes you up right like you get swept into it right that's mm-hmm. why we have these phrases and you become starry-eyed and enamored and like you're thinking about your life in a different way and then you break up and then it's the worst thing in the <laughs> world and then you do this a couple times and after a while you realize like oh I'm in a different place than when I started and so this idea of love that I had when mm-hmm. I was younger, is no longer the same, and and there's some there's something maybe good about that because like now you have more knowledge, but there's something bad about it. I mean, think about it in in biblical terms. It's like when you gain the the apple of knowledge, paradise yeah. is lost, even mm-hmm. though there's something gained. So it seems like it's a balance. It's a trade off, maybe, and maybe you can argue it's more so for the positive. Um, but I definitely wouldn't say there's no negative to the loss of ignorance or something like that. And some people would say, like, you know, ignorance is bliss, right? There's an idea that sure. if you don't know stuff, you're better off. Um, again, I don't know if that's the case. Uh, but the, the thing that's, again, that was important to me is this idea that you really you cannot go back. It's like the loss of innocence, right? Once you lose it, you lose it. You cannot. Once you cannot, the box is open, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That there's no, and this is really, really interesting because it means that it's deeply transformative, right? It's not. It's not just accumulating stuff because if you was, if you were really just a backpack, well, you can then take the backpack off. But this thing transforms you so much that there is no going back. There is no returning to. 
uh, to a previous state. That is how, how, how deep this this uh, e- extremely this deep and like there's there's something good about it, right? Because enlightenment, it's mm-hmm. enlightenment, right? Mm-hmm. But it's a little bit more complex because I don't think we should say, for example, oh, like when I was a child, I was I'm, I was worse, and now I'm no. better. It's like mm, no, because if that was true, you you wouldn't be able to look fondly back on things, and I mean, this is something super interesting to me because I'm very interested in like trying to work out the philosophical underpinnings of nostalgia, for example. And so the idea is I could never go back to the way that I, I saw the world when I was young, mm-hmm. but I can fondly remember that, right? And so that's what nostalgia is. And so in some sense, you could say, oh, well, now I'm more enlightened and I've learned. Yes. However, it's, it's a trade-off. I think that the, the right way of thinking about this, and I think this is why we have nostalgia, is the fact that you look at yourself as you were another. Not better mm. nor worse, but just different. And within those, um, those times, so to speak, you can look at yourself... Uh, and you think, okay, in that moment, the set of experience that I had, I can look at them fondly. And I wasn't worse. I wasn't better. I was just different. I mm. had like a different set of experiences. I, w- I hadn't been transformed by the things that, I, that would transform me after, so to speak. And education, again, it seems to be a parallel between education and love here, right? Uh, just like love, love is not just this positive thing. Love comes with pain, right? Uh, Absolutely. N- not not to be corny here, but surprise, uh, it, it comes, it comes with 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 pain. It comes with uh, with the sense of you, you get lost, right? If you're reading love, you're lost and you're scared and you don't know what the hell is happening and and you so fall on. in love. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, and with education, it's the same. If you start learning stuff if you are in there if you're really getting educated i think there is an element of fear there as well there's an Mm. element of not being comfortable of becoming someone else of being in shoes that are not yours that's true uh, of this desire that seems to that seems to bring you closer and closer to this thing but the closer you get, the more scary you get, so to speak, right? The, 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 almost a physical shivering that you get. Oh, yeah. Uh, with love and with, with learning as well. And I think that's where philosophy is unique from this perspective. I, I tell my students all the time, the only discipline that has the word love in it for a reason, mm. right? And uh, But again, but what we're saying is true. This learning process and this learning activity um I should say, because education, we said, is the process while uh, learning is the activity. This learning activity, it's really exhausting. Sure. If done the right way, right? Sure. And I mean, so exceptions aside, um, such as, you know, the loss of love or nostalgia or something like that, where it may not be a, a net positive, let's maybe focus on the areas where it is positive. Right, like what what happens that benefits you as a result of learning, right? And one of the things seems to be, well, a you can understand more things, and <laughs> to the extent that you can understand more things, you can more 
effectively navigate the world. So I mm -hmm. suppose there's this pragmatic aspect. Um, and also, to the extent that you understand more things, you become more autonomous and less dependent on other people. And this is something that Kant focuses on in mm -hmm. his piece, What is Enlightenment, right? Yes, yes. And um, to piggyback on what you're saying and to use like some one fancy, fancy term, one only, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that uh, when you learn stuff, when you get uh, you start getting educated, right, I think that one of the advantages, so to speak, you're diminishing somewhat your cognitive um, entropy, right? Yes, that's Meaning a good way of putting it. You're looking outside, and if you don't know what's going on, it's like all is chaos, right? Yes. Inst instead, through learning, you make sense of what's going on, right? You make more sense, and you start, you know, diminishing the entropy at this point. Yep, you're this creating order. Exactly. And it's important to understand that this is fundamental for us, right? Meaning that creating order of the disorder that it's the world, it is fundamental. And again, understanding that the world is not ordered. We do this through our mind one way or another. And again, you can be Kantian and say you do this through space and time or whatever it is. But in, in a general term, again, we have the tendency of thinking, oh, of course, I look outside the window and there is the tree that ends exactly there, and this is the grass, and this is the sky, and this is the bird on the tree. We don't understand. Sometimes we have a hard time remembering this, even these distinctions that seem to be clear-cut are mm. distinctions that we made through knowledge and learning. Who says that the tree ends where he ends, right? Right. I mean, I mean, Nietzsche, early Nietzsche would say uh, none of that's really there. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like like we're just speaking in metaphors and there's no distinctions and there's no shared qualities and there's no difference between tree and ground because there's no such thing as tree and ground outside of our ordering uh, mental processes. And w something I'm thinking now is like learning then is, is tied to reason and it tied to logos so. more generally. It seems right? to be. It seems to be. And um, And again, going back for a second. I think that it's fundamental to understand that this order is superimposed by us on nature. And on another level, it is very important to understand that when it comes to human affairs, it's the same thing. Hmm. Things don't have to be like this by necessity, right? The social order where we live, the idea that, you know, we have to behave automatically in one way or another because this is the way things are. Right. And, you know, to go back for a minute to the last episode, this idea that you have to go to college because that's what you do. Right. This is an automatic connection that we make that if you are not learning, if you're not educated, you think that this is part of the order of things the way they are without understanding that this is just the way we are making. You are making these things. So in order to make the distinction that we made in the past episode, you need to have learned something. Because otherwise, you just, you know, uh, it's kind of the op it's kind of the complementary opposite part of what I was saying before. You need learning and education to reduce the level of entropy, the cognitive entropy that's outside of us. But you also need learning and education to kind of unveil certain practices that have been made to us as natural, normal, mm. and almost deterministic, almost deterministic. While instead they're not. Sure. And it's hard. Um, 
for a couple reasons. One, because learning something new requires you to change or may mm -hmm. require you to change. Um, if not in your habits, then at the very least in your outlook. And, and that's kind of scary because changes in outlook are tied to changes in identity. And mm -hmm. that's, that's no small feat. Um, in addition, you might be viewed as like strange, right? Like other people are like, who is, who is this guy? He's saying mm -hmm. things that are different than me and no one wants to feel weird in front of a group. So it's scary to learn new things sometimes. Uh, and also it's much easier to like sit on the couch and watch Netflix and eat ice cream, as I always say. And it's for this reason that, that Kant says, uh, have the courage to use your own understanding, right? People are mm -hmm. scared and lazy um, to escape what he calls immaturity, right? Which mm -hmm. is the, what did he say? Something like this, the... Self-imposed. Like, yeah, the self, he says, enlightenment is man's emergence from his self-incurred immaturity. Uh, and it's like not using your understanding without the aid of another, right? Because exactly. it's much easier to lean on that because you don't have to, show yourself right because showing yourself is tough because mm -hmm. uh, showing yourself like a prerequisite uh to showing yourself means that you're willing to get hurt right because there's no guarantee uh that when you show yourself it's going to be accepted or it's going to mm -hmm. be correct so you have to be willing to put yourself out there which is so scary for so many people and arguably which is why it's so hard to really like get to know someone when they don't want to give themselves over to you, right? Because they've kind of like sealed them, sealed themselves off. And I want to say that it's scary. I mean, maybe, you know, I'm a pessimist here in this, in this specific conversation. No. Uh, or as usual, I don't know. Um, it's scary and rightly so, right? To, to, to learn and to transform and to become other and to become different. It is dangerous, it is really dangerous to do all these things that we're saying to, you know, make a decision on your own uh, for the first time, right? Or, you know, going against the grain of things. Uh, right. People, and if you do that on in the public, in a public domain, right? And I'm not talking about Facebook here or, <laughs> or Twitter, uh, but rather if you do it like in the Agora or, you know, on campus, among friends, amongst people that you know or people that you don't know, bad things can happen to you. That's right. And bad things that happen to people that have done this on a higher level, right? I always think of Giordano Bruno, right? Burn at the stake uh, or many Socrates, right? Absolutely, uh, yeah. was literally killed for asking e questions. Exactly, exactly. And this is... Uh, this is dangerous and philosophy is a dangerous business and learning is a dangerous business. Uh, it's, it doesn't come without, without again, physical costs sometimes and social costs for sure. It's like knowledge is power to use mm -hmm. another cliche that has lost meaning. Mm -hmm. However, the obtaining of that is difficult and it seems like it's so difficult or our aversion to difficulty is so great that we're willing to sacrifice the would-be power we'd gain had we went mm -hmm. through with the process. And, mm -hmm. and this seems related to something we were talking about uh, in the previous episode, which is like people, if, if something isn't automatic 
mm-hmm. and easy. If I don't gain it in the moment, a lot of people are like, I don't want it, right? Either because <laughs> I don't want to think that hard mm-hmm. or because it forces me to realize that I'm not as good and perfect as I thought I was. For whatever reason, you'll give up. And so the good life, learning, seems to involve this idea of improvement, mm-hmm. right? It's not just any transformation. It's not just any shift in being. It's it's one that improves you, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, and improvement, I, I just keep thinking of this idea that improvement is tough because by definition, in order to improve, you have to admit that you were at a low place, right? Because like if you were already perfect, there'd be mm-hmm. no room to improve. But mm-hmm. a, it, for a lot of people, it's a fragile subject. It's like, I don't want to admit that there's something wrong with me. And, and you know, maybe there's a, a broader, you know, cultural wave of this existing and you want to ask why, but you also want to figure out like, how can we, how can we get over this? Right? how can you tell people that it's okay to not be God? It's okay <laughs> to not be perfect. It's okay to like focus on steps you could take to be in a better place without them kind of running away. And yeah, I, I think that that is one of the main issues there with, with the fear of, of discovering that you're not what you think you were, which mm. I think we go back to Socrates here. One of the prerequisites to achieve the good life and learning seems to be knowing yourself somewhat, right? Absolutely. If you have no concept of the way you first, the first most basic information that you need to learn, the first transformative experience comes with un- self uh, analysis, right? True. Uh, and you're like, okay. This is the way I am. Admitting your lacks, right? Admitting what what you're missing, or not just admitting what you're missing, but admitting that you can be perfected somehow. That you that there is room within you for this improvement of which you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is fundamental. And then the second thing is, uh, since you cannot, it seems that you cannot improve by yourself, you need to show yourself vulnerable with another and that's what's scary right because now it's not just the secret that i don't know math right now there is someone else or is the mm. secret that i'm not as good of a person and there are other ready people as, that are better than me right yes and i had to submit to them because they had to at least show me the way but not necessarily that they're better than me but there is somebody that knows that i have this weakness and i sure. had to and again, sometimes we're scared, rightly so, because some people will take advantage of that and try to destroy you, knowing this weakness right now. And especially in a, in a world like the one where we live, where exploitation uh, is, you know, the, 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 the main word of the day, right? Mm. One way or another, everyone, everyone tries to make something out of someone else, so to speak, right? It is... It is scary. It is even more scary. So you're even more cautious. It's and high risk, high reward. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like I compare it uh, often to carrying an atomic bomb in your hand, right? Hmm. Okay. You have the power that with that in your hand to do, you know, you can, you can create a lot of damage, right? But it is scary and worrisome to carry because somebody trip you and you just, you're the one that explodes. That's... That's problematic as well. And and there are 
certain risks are really self-explosion there. I'm thinking of male, for example, right? That eventually had like a, a nervous breakdown mm. at a young age because he says, I was never playing. I was always learning. I was always learning. Uh, and too much of this might be bad for you, maybe, right? Oh, sure. Right. There like is, sometimes you should do nothing and lay on the couch and watch Netflix, right? Like there's, there's totally a balance as with everything else. Um, this is why if you, so if you meet someone, I'm going to speak in, in Aristotelian terms, who is like so aversive to learning and just wants to do what they want to do and doesn't want to make any kind of effort ever, like that's not good. However, if you meet someone who all they do is like study, 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 learn, and they don't have time for anything else, that's bad too. And that mm -hmm. was my experience of grad school, actually. <laughs> and this is like the reason why I didn't want to go further and get a PhD because I was like, oh my God, it's like, it seems like you're, you're presented with these two choices of like, do I want to be a surface dweller or do I want to live alone, isolated in the ivory tower with no connection to low culture? And like, that's disgusting to me. Yeah. So you need some balance, even with education. Um, and what I was thinking before, which is interesting, is that this need to be vulnerable is is essential, not just for, you know, the grand good life, but for like having human relations, right? Having mm -hmm. authentic relations with other people, uh, romantic or otherwise. And something else that's interesting is that we wind up in this weird circle where we say in order to gain, you know, virtue, we need courage, but courage mm -hmm. is a virtue. And so yeah. virtue is necessary to cultivate further virtue. And it's very, very interesting. Yeah. And it's, uh, I will add that, you know, it's, it seems to be, seems to be already the need of a prerequisite there. Right. Mm. Um, and the fact that you were saying that, uh, you need to be almost prone to it. You need this courage in order to, in order to, to address this. Um, it's interesting, and I'm wondering if um, the connection to the good life, but in general, as you're saying, to life, uh, to living just as in, in 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 groups, right, uh, already presupposes this idea of learning how how to to live well. And, sure. And I'm wondering though if, again, in the name of those calculative way of thinking that we were mentioning last last time, we're kind of transformed or made um, made uh, how can I say learning and education again something different uh, that has nothing to do with living a good life but simply to live a calculative life yeah. where all the matters of profit and you know getting what I want and going through life as in a breeze right I think uh, okay again this is going to sound weird probably I think that we have tried to make our lives so much, so pain-free and risk-free that now, of course, doing something that involves pain and risk as a definition, which is learning and getting educated or loving <laughs> again, sure, uh, it has become almost impossible for us. We don't want to do that anymore because we're not used to take risks and we're not used to uh, to be in pain, 
We don't want to do that. That's bad. We identify that as bad. The problem is that those are necessary condition for yeah. improving and living a good life. That's what I was, I was just thinking. It's like people forget that the more you or the less you're exposed to X, even if that seems like a good thing in the short term, the less tolerant you become mm-hmm. to X, the less you could deal with it. And so if you get to the point where like you become so sensitive that you can't deal with any X, you you remove the possibility of you gaining any of the qualities that require X on route. And so mm-hmm. if you need courage and if you need to be vulnerable and you need some kind of pain, but you've been psychologically hindered because you've been raised into a culture that is seeing pain removal at any cost as the highest virtue, mm-hmm. you, you can't actually cultivate true virtue. Absolutely. And, and it's definitely, again, uh, I always think of this, you need, in order for you to be transformed, you need to destroy a part of yourself. Sure. Yeah. Creation and needs you, destruction. Exactly. And you, and of course, because it's a part of yourself, you might very well be attached to that part of yourself. You might, you might like the way that part of yourself makes you feel, but that doesn't mean that, that you should keep it because that will be the thing that hinders you from getting the good life. Again, thinking of um, you know a medical metaphor, right? I might love to eat donuts every day, <laughs> and I love how, t- how this makes me feel all the time, right? Mm-hmm. But then I'll die at 45 because I have diabetes and all sorts of health issues, given by the fact that I eat fried sweet stuff every day by the dozen, right? Mm-hmm. But if I am too attached to the sweet taste of donuts right and i'm not willing to endure the pain to repress that to take that away to get educated to eat a donut once a week for example right Mm -hmm. i cannot get exposed to all the good things that will do to me not eating them right all the good things that are going to be given to me uh by uh by just not not keeping the same habits right just change that but again as you were saying before, this implies that I'm not perfect. This implies that I'm doing something that is not necessarily uh, perfect, and it exposes me. Yeah, and at, at the end of the day, I think there are kind of two choices. And choice one is we, we mold the world around people. Mm-hmm. And so we make the world easier. We make things easier. We make things meet your standards. We come to you. And in doing so, lower standards and weaken individual potential. Mm -hmm. Or we could do the opposite. We could seek to make individuals as strong as they can be so that we don't need to bend the world around them so that they can go out and meet those standards. So it's Mm -hmm. a matter of, you know, everything is okay, but the individual's down here, or like, mm, everything's not okay always, but now I'm going to rise to the occasion to go back to that phrase and become better as a result of it. And for me, it seems like that that's where true education lies. I, I was about to say, I think that you just described the difference between what we were talking about last time and what we we're talking about today. Uh, last time we were talking about this, having people molding the world around people while today we're talking about real education with capital E, right? We're talking about making individual, giving 
paving this road for individuals to go out there and rise to the occasion. Um, and before we go, um, I think that there is there is something to be said that we cannot say about this, uh, about the fact that we cannot achieve that by ourselves, mm. that we need a teacher, yes. that we need somebody that shows us the way. Uh, but that's probably another story. Yeah, you need to be right. challenged, but I suppose we can talk about teaching in the future because that would that flows nicely from this, but also it's distinct enough, I think, to warrant a, a different discussion at some point, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So I think that's it for today. All right, we'll see you guys around. See you around. Bye. Bye.